Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us for post-Super Tuesday Part 2 reaction is Bill Crystal. And Bill, I heard the bullet sailing by my anti-Trump ear, but it missed me because Donald Trump did not win Ohio. Yeah, the voters of the Buckeye State came through and delivered a pretty comfortable victory to their governor, John Kasich. So I guess one has to say, in fairness to Trump, that the fact that we're relieved and sort of celebrating the fact that Kasich won by, what, nine, ten points probably, it looks like, over over uh, Trump in his home state, uh, still got less than 50 percent of the vote, shows how strong Trump is. And it was a, it was not the night Trump needed to really close things down. I think winning Ohio probably would have done that. It wasn't quite the night uh, the anti-Trump forces needed to really uh, give Trump a setback, I wouldn't say, since he seems to have won the other four states. So Missouri is extremely close, and the delegates will be split in North Carolina, splintered in North Carolina, Missouri, and Illinois to some degree. But um, so we live to fight another day. Yes, and that's, the, I think, the key, because we could have not lived. I mean, that's, I, I mean, maybe I'm a glass-half-full guy tonight, Bill, but I was so fearful that this was going to be over. And I may still have to you know, face the prospect of a Trump nomination future, but I don't have to face it tonight, so I'll seize that. It's also a little confusing because um, Illinois, for example, uh, Donald Trump has about an 8-10 point lead over Ted Cruz, but if he wins in every congressional district, he could end up netting all those delegates, which means that the delegate impact will pretty much make up for losing Ohio. And if the same is true in Missouri and North Carolina, Trump could end up about 220, 240 delegates ahead of uh, Ted Cruz. Yeah, I think in North Carolina is really proportional. And that, that he'll get a, he just gets a couple more delegates than Cruz there. Illinois is complicated. It's by CD, and uh, they actually vote for the delegates. It looks like Case is going to pick up some, a couple of congressional districts there, and Cruz will pick up a few downstate. So I think it'll be uh, Trump will get the majority of, <coughs> excuse me, of Illinois, of Illinois delegates, but not all of them. Missouri also by CD. That one looks dead even. With it looks like Trump might win by half a percentage point, but presumably he'll pick up he'll pick up some statewide delegates then and a few more than Cruz, but Cruz will get a decent chunk. So could have been worse from the stop Trump point of view. It looks to me like Trump's gonna have around forty six percent of the delegates chosen so far at the end of tonight. Um so he's getting you know, he's he's below fifty, but he's not that far from fifty. Um and so people will start looking to Arizona next week, which is going to take all uh, Utah next week and then Wisconsin in three weeks. Uh, all middle-sized states, but still make a real difference. If, if you know, if Trump were to sweep those, I think we'd be back in in uh, in, uh, in in deep trouble. <laughs> if, if, on the other hand, someone like Cruz were to win Arizona, I don't know what would happen in Wisconsin. Um, that would be a very different story. So, you know, and there are a lot of dynamics in these campaigns. People, you know, you can't just project with a straight line. There's supposed to be a debate on Monday night in Salt Lake City. Uh, I think Trump has indicated, or at least suggested, he's going to skip it. Uh, I gather he's actually accepted his uh, speech at APEC and picked, you know, a speaking slot on Monday night uh, so that he can have, have a good excuse, I guess, for missing the debate. But how will, if he does that and if Fox goes ahead with the debate, how will the voters uh, in Utah and especially Arizona, I should think, feel about, you know, him skipping the debate the night before the primary? So a lot of things still to happen, that's for sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the past so before we move to the future, and that is Marco Rubio. And, uh, I mean, the perform his... Uh, Performance in Florida, devastating. He won one county. 
in his home state, just crushed. And I'm curious if that says something about Rubio, Trump, both of them. Yeah, I guess all of the above. I mean, I think people are going to, of course, write the obituaries of the Rubio campaign and find all the flaws, and there were some, but one can also overdo that. He was a first-term senator. It was, in a sense, always going to be a long shot because Jeb Bush was such a flop, because others like Scott Walker got out. Rubio became the kind of establishment, as they say, or mainstream candidate, but uh, it wasn't clear he would be. In a way, you could say it's an achievement to have made the Final Four. On the other hand, you know, having to go out after losing your home state by 20 points it's pretty it's pretty tough um you know it's funny though this is one of these cases where it could be one could over explain it or it's overdetermined. if he hadn't you know he, he had a nice late run in, in iowa to get to third probably exceeding expectations in the in the caucuses there very close behind trump he was rising in new hampshire and then he had that horrible two minutes in that debate and that knocked him down from what probably would have been a second place finish in new hampshire to fifth then he still came back and ended up second in South Carolina, but he was just never quite able to get into that to get to first. Everyone made fun of his strategy. It was called three, two, one, third in Iowa, second in New Hampshire, first in South Carolina. It wasn't crazy though, and it might have happened if he hadn't had that terrible two minutes in the debate in New Hampshire. So, um, you know, I think he remains a very attractive uh, figure uh, with a political future ahead of him. It's I don't think, agree with people who say, oh, he'll never be able to come back because he lost his primary. Trump turned out to be. Uh, very strong, <laughs> excuse me, everywhere, but of course, particularly strong in Florida. He has actually lives there basically, and has properties there that also just seem to tap into something in, in the water in Florida that made him particularly a particularly formidable candidate there. Well, there are some people who have argued that you could just fence off Florida and use it as America's insane asylum, and uh, so there's a natural Trump vibe there. I, of course, to, to, to use a tactic Trump uses, I would never say that, Bill. I've just, some people have said that if you're looking for America's craziest state, the most natural Trumpian group of people, particularly the demographic voting in the Republican primary, which is elderly white people who want other people to pay for their stuff, uh, you've got Trump in spades in uh, in Florida. But you now, know, one thing about that, I think that's really true, is that, I mean, a good friend of mine who's been around Republican politics a long time has been very skeptical, was very skeptical about Rubio from the start. He likes him. I mean, he just thought he wouldn't end up being a very strong or a strong enough candidate in the Republican primaries. <laughs> and I said, why? Uh, and he said, well, because he just thinks that Republican primary voters are very used to voting for older candidates. Think of who they've nominated in the last, you know, bunch of bunch of elections, right. uh, and for candidates who sort of have a certain gravitas and stature. You may not agree with them. You may think they're wrong on issues, but they have a certain sense that they seem to be presidential. You just thought for those voters, Rubio looks look look too young. And it's funny. We all spent a lot of time talking about how what a great young field it was, and I don't think we were foolish to have that conversation six and nine months ago. But we've ended up with a final three of Donald Trump, the 69-year-old guy, John Kasich, the second oldest candidate, I think, in the field. I don't know he and Rick Perry are about the same age, but I think what is Kasich, 61 or something? But he's mm. been around an awful long time. was first elected to Congress in the, in the 80s, uh, early in the Reagan presidency. And then, um, and then Ted Cruz, who is young, 45, but looks 10 years older. You know, he's like the <laughs> oldest of the young people. So all the kind of, you know, the Walkers and the Rubios and the Jindals, um, all, all just uh, didn't make it, and we ended up in a funny way with more traditional types. Well, Trump isn't traditional, I wouldn't say, but in a, in a way he benefits from being, I think, more like the kind of person the Republican primary electorate is 
used to voting for, at least in that respect. Kind of, he's been around, knows what he's doing. You, when you hear people talk about Trump, people who aren't crazy but who are still attracted to him, you know, kind of a tough guy, a lot of business experience. Well, is he going to get taken advantage of? And I do think Rubio's being so looking so young probably ended up hurting him some. So where Rubio, what's his role going forward? Does he have one? Should he have one? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I mean, I'm told that he has had conversations about endorsing Ted Cruz. Um, uh, Mark Rubio does not think that Donald Trump should be president of the United States. Rubio has his issues with Cruz. They've disagreed on a lot of things. They're temperamentally quite different, different kinds of conservatives, you might almost say, uh, rivals in the Senate uh, as young you know, first-term senators, both of whom are going to run for the president. Having said all that, I, I, I think Rubio thinks that Ted Cruz is a plausible and credible president of the United States, which he doesn't really think about Donald Trump. It would be interesting if Rubio endorsed Cruz in the next couple of days. It would be interesting if he took to the road for him some. People can say, well, it wouldn't help. Endorsements haven't helped much in this cycle. And Rubio is a guy who got crushed by Trump in his home state. So how much good would it do? And there may be some truth to that. But I think it would be impressive, a kind of a legitimization of Cruz by someone who's not, you know, where Cruz is ideologically and who, in fact, was at one point looked like, you know, was going to be the bit those two might be the big rivals. Right. Uh, and so the question is, though, would it, like you said, would it make a difference uh, in the uh, with the margins that Rubio has and his numbers have been falling? My real question is, what do you see as the role for John Kasich and Ted Cruz going forward? I mean, here are just some of the uh, winner take all. St- well, actually, here are all the winner take all states remaining. You've got uh, Western states like South Dakota, Montana, uh, Arizona, and then you've got Nebraska. And then you've got uh Kind of, uh, you know, the, the other end of things, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Wisconsin, New Jersey, uh, and then the big one in the mix, which is California. Should they divide, try to divide the field? Is that, or have we seen thus far that the can- campaigns just don't work that way, that they can't make that work? And that one of the things that hurt Rubio was the idea that he wasn't going to play everywhere, and so he lost votes everywhere. No, I mean, that's the question they're going to be asking internally. I mean, Cruz was always will fight pretty much everywhere, though he may de facto. In states that, that do it by congressional districts like New York and California, you could imagine Cruz fighting certain districts and leaving others to Kasich. So you can get a little bit of a division of labor there. You could even get some division of labor in states. Maybe Kasich won't bother with Arizona much, let Cruz fight Trump there. That's the next winner take all. Wisconsin, I think, is a state Kasich thinks he would have a shot in. Maybe Cruz would would step aside or maybe not. I mean, they're going to have to make tough tactical decisions. I, I tend to think it's for the anti-Trump forces, it's probably good at this point still to have both Cruz and Case again, just because I think they probably take enough delegates to help keep Trump below 50. But they can also hurt each other in certain ways, obviously, in some of these, in some of these states. So I think for Case, the question is he's, he's to, he'll have to win somewhere other than Ohio. I mean, you can't just run for president and win only your home state. So, you know, where does he start to, does he wait to the, New England primaries on April 26th to win somewhere. That's an awful long time to go. And I think Wisconsin will be the obvious place for, for Kasich. But I guess there's nothing, he has nothing much to lose by staying in, and he, especially if he doesn't really contest some of these states like Arizona and let's, let's Cruz fight that. But I come back to Arizona next week just because I think that is pretty important. We've had kind of an, <coughs> excuse me, an inconclusive result tonight. Pretty good for Trump, uh, but not quite as good as it could have been. And, you know, Arizona strikes me if Trump wins that, then we're sort of, you know, then, then Trump will continue his pattern of kind of winning every night, even every primary night, even if not winning everything every primary night. 
if Cruz were to win Arizona and Utah, I think he had a good shot in Utah, suddenly you'd actually have a night where Cruz just beats Trump in two states, maybe not two, you know, not, not typical right. states exactly, but still two real states. And uh, that would change the dynamic, I think, some. Uh, and so the question is, can he do it? And then what role does Kasich play in that? Does he take away just enough votes to cause it to happen on either side? And this is where the math gets so complex. So, uh, Bill, I was so happy that uh, Donald Trump lost Ohio, that not only did I break out the good Bushmills Irish whiskey, the private label stuff, but I uh, uh, told my wife, you know what, if we had a kid tonight, I would name it Kasich Graham. I was that happy. So I'm just going to try to keep the cheer alive for uh, at least until Arizona and Utah. You could have John McCormick on on this podcast later in the week, and he'll he'll walk you through all the delegate counts. He's worked <laughs> it all out. He has an excellent spreadsheet people can, can go to. But um, meanwhile, yeah, I like the case of Graham. That could be pretty. <laughs> that could be pretty rough on that. It was case. that. It was. I mean, at least it's not case of Cruz Graham. That would be good. <laughs> Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us for this post-election uh, night reaction here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.